Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today from a series of messages by Charles Spurgeon on the general subject of sovereignty. This one is election. We started it last time. This is part two and the final part of a sermon simply titled Election. He says, Thus I have tried to say something with regard to the truth of the doctrine of election. And now, briefly, let me say that election is absolute. That is, it does not depend upon what we are. The text says, God hath from the beginning chosen us unto salvation. But our opponents say that God chose people because they are good, and that he chooses them on account of sundry works which they have done. Now we ask in reply to this, what works are those on account of which God elects his people? Are they what we commonly call works of law, works of obedience, which the creature can render? If so, we reply to you, if men cannot be justified by the works of the law, it seems to us pretty clear that they cannot be elected by the works of the law. If they cannot be justified by their good deeds, they cannot be saved by their good deeds. Then the decree of election could not have been formed upon good works. But, say others, God elected them on the foresight of their faith. Now, God gives faith, therefore he could not have elected them on account of faith which he foresaw. There shall be twenty beggars in the street, and I determined to give one of them a shilling. But will anyone say that I determined to give that one a shilling, that I elected him to have the shilling because I foresaw that he would have it? <laughs> that would be talking nonsense. In like manner, to say that God elected men because he foresaw that they would have faith, which is salvation in the germ, it would be too absurd for us to listen to for a moment. Faith is the gift of God. Every virtue comes from him. Therefore, it cannot have caused him to elect men because it is his gift. Election, we are sure, is absolute and altogether apart from the virtues which the saints have afterward. What though a saint should be as holy and devout as Paul, what that he should be as bold as Peter or as, as loving as John, Yet he would claim nothing from his maker. I knew never a saint yet of any denomination who thought that God saved him because he foresaw that he would have these virtues and merits. Now, my brethren, the best jewels that the saint ever wears, if they be jewels of his own fashioning, are not of the first water. There's nothing of earth mixed with them. The highest grace we ever possess has something of earthliness about it. We feel this when we are most refined, when we are most sanctified. And our language must always be, I, the chief of sinners, am Jesus died for me. Our only hope, our only plea still hangs on grace as exhibited in the person of Jesus Christ. And I am sure we must utterly reject and disregard all thought that our graces, which are gifts of our Lord, which are his right-hand planting, could have ever caused his love. 
and we ever must sing, What was there in that could merit esteem in us? Oh, give the Creator delight. T'was even so, Father, we ever must sing, because it seemed good in thy sight. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He saves because he will save. And if you ask me why he saves me, I can only say, because he would do it. Was there anything in me that should recommend me to God? No. I lay aside everything. I, I, had, I had nothing to recommend me. When God saved me, I was the most abject, lost, and ruined of the race. I lay before him as an infant in my blood. Verily, I had no power to help myself. Oh, how wretched did I feel and know myself to be. If you had something to recommend you to God, I never had. I will be content to be saved by grace, unalloyed, pure grace. I can boast of no merits. If you can do so, I cannot. I must sing free grace alone from the first to the last, hath won my affection and held my soul fast. And then thirdly, this election is eternal. God hath from the beginning chosen you into eternal life. Can any man tell me when the beginning was? Years ago, we thought the beginning of this world was when Adam came upon it. But we have discovered that thousands of years before that, God was preparing chaotic matter. Well, I'm not sure, Mr. Spurgeon. I have to disagree with you there putting races of creatures upon it who might die and leave behind the marks of his handiwork before he tried his hand on man. But that was not the beginning. For Revelation points us to a period long ere this world was fashioned, to the days when the morning stars were begotten, when, like drops of dew from the fingers of the morning, stars and constellations fell trickling from the hand of God, when by his own lips he launched forth ponderous orbs, when with his own hand he sent comets like thunderbolts wandering through the sky to find one day their proper sphere. We go back to years gone by when worlds were made and systems fashioned, but we have not even approached the beginning yet, until we go to the time when all the universe slept in the mind of God, as yet unborn, until we enter the eternity where God, the Creator, lived alone, everything sleeping within him, all creation resting in his mighty, gigantic thought. Till then we have not guessed the beginning. Oh, we may go back, 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 ages upon ages. We may go back if we might use such strange words, whole eternities, and, and yet never arrive at the beginning. Our wing might be tired, our imagination would die away. Could it outstrip the lightnings flashing in majesty, power and rapidity? It would soon weary itself ere it could get to the beginning. But God, from the beginning, chose his people. When the unnavigated ether was yet unfanned by the wing of a single angel, when the space was shoreless or else unborn, when universal silence reigned, and not a voice or whisper shocked the solemnity of silence, when there was no being and no motion, no time, and naught but God himself, alone in his eternity, when without the song of an angel, without the attendance of even the cherubim, long ere the living creatures were born, 
where the wheels of the chariot of Jehovah were fashioned. Even then, in the beginning, was the Word. And in the beginning, God's people were one with the Word. And in the beginning, He chose them unto eternal life. Our election, then, is eternal. I will not stop to prove it. I only just run over these thoughts for the benefit of young beginners, that they may understand what we mean by eternal, absolute election. And next, the election is personal. Here again, our opponents have tried to overthrow election by telling us that it is an election of nations and not of people. But here the apostle says, God hath from the beginning chosen you. It is the most miserable shift on earth to make out that God has not chosen persons, but nations. Because the very same objection that lies against the choice of persons lies against the choice of a nation. If it were not just to choose a person, it would be far more unjust to choose a nation, since nations are but the union of multitudes of persons. And to choose a nation seems to be a more gigantic crime, if election be a crime, than to choose one person. Surely to choose 10,000 would be reckoned to be worse than choosing one. To distinguish a whole nation from the rest of mankind does seem to be a, a greater extravaganza in the acts of divine sovereignty than the election of one poor mortal and leaving out another. But what are nations but men? What are whole people but combinations of different units? A nation is made up of that individual and, and that and that. And if you tell me that, that God chose the Jews, I say then he, he chose that Jew and that Jew and that Jew. And if you choo say he, he chooses Britain, then I say he chooses that British man and, and that British man and, and that British man. So it's the same thing after all. Election then is personal. It must be so. Everyone who reads this text and others like it will see that Scripture continually speaks of God's people one by one and speaks of them as having been the special subjects of election. Sons we are through God's election who in Jesus Christ believe by eternal destination, sovereign grace is here received. We know it is personal election. And the other thought is, for my time flies too swiftly to enable me to dwell at length upon these points, that election produces good results. He hath from the beginning chosen you unto sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. How many men mistake the doctrine of election altogether? And how my soul burns and boils at the recollection of the terrible evils that have accrued from the spoiling and the wrestling of that glorious portion of God's glorious truth? How many are there who have said to themselves, I am elect, and have sat down in sloth? And worse than that, they've said, I am the elect of God, and with both hands they've done wickedness. They've swiftly run to every unclean thing because they've said, I am the chosen child of God, irrespective of my works. Therefore, I may live as I list and do what I like. 
Oh, beloved, let me solemnly warn every one of you not to carry this truth too far, or rather not to turn the truth into error, for we cannot carry it too far. We may overstep the truth. We can make that which was meant to be sweet for our comfort a terrible mixture for our destruction. I tell you, there have been thousands of men who have been ruined by misunderstanding election, who have said, God has elected me to heaven and to eternal life, but they've forgotten that it is written, God has elected them through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. This is God's election, election to sanctification and to faith. God chooses his people to be holy and to be believers. How many of you here then are are believers? How many of my congregation can put their hands upon their hearts and say, I trust in God that I am sanctified? Is there one of you who says, I am elect? I remind you that you swore last week. One of you says, I trust I am elect, but I jog your memory about some vicious act that you committed during the last six days. Another of you says, I am elect, but I would look you in the face and say, elect? Thou art a most cursed hypocrite, and that is all thou art. Others would say, I am elect, but I would remind them that they neglect the mercy seat and do not pray. Oh, beloved, never think you are elect if you are not holy. You may come to Christ as a sinner, but you may not come to Christ as an elect person until you can see your holiness. Do not misconstrue misconstrue what I say. Do not say, I am elect, and yet think you can be living in sin. That is impossible. The elect of God are holy. They are not pure. They are not perfect. They are not spotless. But taking their life as a whole, they are holy persons. They are marked and distinct from others. And no man has a right to conclude himself elect, except in his holiness. He may be elect and yet lying in darkness, but he has no right to believe it. No one can see it. There's no evidence of it. The man may live one day, but he's dead at present. If you are walking in the fear of God, trying to please him and to obey his commandments, doubt not that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. And lest this should be too high for you, note the other mark of election, which is faith, belief of the truth. Whoever believes God's truth and believes on Jesus Christ is elect. I frequently meet with poor souls who are fretting and worrying themselves about this thought. What if I should say not be elect? Oh, sir, they say, I I, I know I put my trust in Jesus. I know I believe in his name and trust in his blood. But how if I should not be elect? (laughs) Poor dear creature, you do not know much about the gospel or you would never talk so. For he that believes is elect. Those who are elect unto sanctification and unto faith. And if you have faith, you are one of God's elect. You may know it and ought to know it. For it's an absolute certainty. If you as a sinner look to Jesus Christ this morning and say, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. You are elect. I'm not afraid of election frightening poor saints or sinners. 
There are many divines who tell the inquirer, election has nothing to do with you. <laughs> That's very bad, because the poor soul is not to be silenced like that. If you could silence him so, it, it might be well, but he'll think of it. He can't help it. Say to him, then, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are elect. If you'll cast yourself on Jesus, you are elect, I tell you, the chief of sinners. This morning, I tell you, in his name, if you'll come to God without any works of your own, cast yourself on the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you will come now and trust in him, you are elect. You are loved of God from before the foundation of the world, for you could not do that unless God had given you the power and had chosen you to do it. Now you are safe and secure if you do but come and cast yourself on Jesus Christ and wish to be saved and to be loved by him. But think not that any man will be saved without faith and without holiness. Do not conceive, my hearers, that some decree or uh, passed in the dark ages of eternity will save your souls, unless you believe in Christ. Do not sit down and fancy that you are to be saved without faith and holiness. It's the most abominable and accursed heresy. It has ruined thousands. Lay not election as a pillow for you to sleep on, or you may be ruined. God forbid that I should be sewing pillows under armholes that, that you may rest comfortably in your sins. Sinner, there is nothing in the Bible to palliate your sins. But if thou art condemned, O man, if thou art lost, O woman, Thou wilt not find in this Bible one drop to cool thy tongue or one doctrine to palliate thy guilt. Your damnation will be entirely your own fault, and your sin will richly merit it. Because you believe not, you are condemned. You believe not because you were not of my sheep, and you would not come to me that you might have life, Jesus said. Do not fancy that election excuses sin. Do not dream of it. Do not rock yourself in sweet complacency in the thought of your irresponsibility. You're responsible. We must give you both things. We must have divine sovereignty, and we must have man's responsibility. We must have election, but we must ply your hearts. We must send God's truth at you. We must speak to you and remind you of this that while it is written, in me is thy help, yet it is also written, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Now, lastly, what are the true and legitimate tendencies of right conceptions concerning the doctrine of election? First, I'll tell you what the doctrine of election will make saints do under the blessing of God. Secondly, what it will do for sinners if God blesses it to them. First, I, I think election to a saint is one of the most stripping doctrines in all the world. And to take away all trust in the flesh or all reliance upon anything except Jesus Christ. How often do we wrap ourselves up in our own righteousness and array ourselves with the false pearls and gems of our own works and doings? We begin to say, now I shall be saved because I have this and that evidence. Instead of that, it is naked faith that saves. That faith and that alone unites to the Lamb. 
irrespective of works, although it is productive of them? How often do we lean on some work other than that of our own beloved and trust in some might other than that which comes from on high? Now, if we would have his might taken from us, we must consider election. Pause, my soul, and consider this. God loved thee before thou hadst a being. He loved thee when thou wast dead in trespasses and sins, and sent his Son to die for thee. He purchased thee with his precious blood, ere thou couldst lisp his name. Canst thou then be proud? I know nothing, nothing, again, that is more humbling for us than this doctrine of election. I have sometimes fallen prostrate before it when endeavoring to understand it. I have stretched my wings, and eagle-like I have soared toward the sun. Steady has been my eye, and true my wing for a, a season. But when I came near it, and the one thought possessed me, God hath from the beginning chosen you unto salvation. I was lost in its luster. I was staggered with the mighty thought. And from the dizzy elevation down came my soul, prostrate and broken, saying, Lord, I am nothing. I am less than nothing. Why me? Why me? Friends, if, if you want to be humbled, Study election, for it will make you humble under the influence of God's Spirit. He who is proud of his election is not elect. He who is humbled under a sense of it may believe that he is. He has every reason to believe that he is, for it is one of the most blessed effects of election, that it helps us to humble ourselves before God. Once again, election in the Christian should make him uh, very fearless and very bold. No man will be so bold as he, he who believes that he is the elect of God. What cares he for man if he is chosen of his maker? What will he care for the pitiful chirpings of some tiny sparrows when he knoweth that he is an eagle of a royal race? Will he care when the beggar pointeth at him, when the blood royal of heaven runs in his veins? Will he fear if, if all the world stand against him? If earth be all in arms abroad, he dwells in perfect peace, for he is in the secret place of the tabernacle of the Most High, in the great pavilion of the Almighty. I am God's, says he. I am distinct from other men. They are of an inferior race. Am not I noble? Am not I one of the aristocrats of heaven? Is not my name written in God's book? Does he care for the world? Nay. Like the lion that careth not for the barking of a dog, he smileth at all his enemies. And when they come too near him, he moveth himself, dasheth them to pieces. What careth he for them? He walks about them like a colossus, while little men walk under him and understand him not. His brow is made of iron. His heart is a flint. What doth he care for man? Nay, if one universal hiss came up from the wide world, he would smile at it. For he would say, He that hath made his refuge God shall find a most secure abode. I am one of his elect. 
I am chosen of God and precious. And though the world cast me out, I fear not. Ah, you time-serving professors, some of you can bend like the willows. There are few Christians nowadays that can stand the storms like oaks. And I will tell you the reason. It's because you do not believe yourselves to be elect. The man who knows he is elect will be too proud to sin. He will not humble himself to commit the acts of common people. The believer in this truth will say, I compromise my principles. I change my doctrines. I lay aside my views. I hide what I believe to be true. No, since I know I am one of God's elect, in the very teeth of all men I shall speak God's truth, whatever men may say. Nothing makes a man so truly bold as to feel that he is God's elect. He shall not quiver. He shall not shake who knows that God has chosen him. Moreover, election will make us holy. Nothing under the gracious influence of the Holy Spirit can make a Christian more holy than the thought that he is chosen. Shall I sin, he says, after God hath chosen me? Shall I transgress after such love? Shall I go astray after so much loving kindness and tender mercy? Nay, my God, since thou hast chosen me, I will love thee. I will live to thee, since thou, the everlasting God, my Father, art become. I will give myself to thee, to be thine forever, by election and by redemption, casting myself on thee, and solemnly consecrating myself to thy service. And now, lastly, to the ungodly. What says election to you? First, ye ungodly ones, I will excuse you for a moment. There are many of you who do not like election, and I cannot blame you, uh, for I have heard those preach election who have sat down and said, I have not one word to say to the sinner. Well, now, I say you ought to dislike such preaching as that. I don't blame you for it. But I say, take courage, <laughs> Take hope, O sinner, that there is election. So far from dispiriting and discouraging thee, it's a very hopeful and joyous thing that there is an election. What if I told thee perhaps none can be saved, none are ordained to eternal life? Wouldst thou not tremble and fold thy hands in hopelessness and then say, Then how could I be saved since none are elect? But I say there is a multitude elect, beyond all counting, a host that no mortal can number. And therefore take heart, thou poor sinner. Cast away thy despondency. Mayest not thou be elect as well as any other? For there is a host innumerable chosen. There is joy and comfort for thee. Then not only take heart, but, but go and try the master. Remember, if you were not elect, you would lose... Nothing by it. What did the four Syrians say? Let us fall unto the host of the Syrians, for if we stay here, we will die. If we go to them, we could but die. <laughs> o sinner, come to the throne of electing mercy. Thou mayest die where thou art. Go to God. And even supposing he should spurn thee, suppose his uplifted hand should drive thee away, which is a thing impossible. <laughs> 
Yet thou wilt not lose anything. Thou wilt not be more damned for that. Besides, supposing thou be damned, thou wouldst have the satisfaction at least of being able to lift up thine eyes in hell and say, God, I, I asked mercy of thee, and thou wouldst not grant it. I sought it, but thou didst refuse it. That thou never shalt say, O oh, sinner, thou shalt never say that. If thou goest to him and askest him, thou shalt receive, for he ne'er has spurned one yet. Is not that hope for you? What though there is an allotted number, yet it is true that all who seek belong to that number. Go thou and seek, and if thou shouldst be the first one to go to hell, tell the devils that thou didst perish thus. Tell the demons that thou art a castaway after having come as a guilty sinner to Jesus. I tell thee, it would disgrace the Eternal. With reverence to his name, I say it. And he would not allow such a thing. He is jealous of his honor, and he could not allow a sinner to say that. But our poor soul, not only think thus, that thou canst not lose anything by coming, there is yet one more thought. Do you love the thought of election this morning? Are you willing to admit its justice? Do you say, I feel that I am lost, I deserve it, and that if my brother is saved, I cannot murmur? If God destroy me, I deserve it. But if he saves the person sitting beside me, he has a right to do what he wills with his own, and I have lost nothing by it. Can you say that, honestly, from your heart? If so, then the doctrine of election has had its right effect on your spirit. You're not far from the kingdom of heaven. You're brought where you ought to be, where the Spirit wants you to be. And being so this morning, depart in peace. God has forgiven your sins. You would not feel that if you were not pardoned. You would not feel that if the Spirit of God were not working in you. Rejoice then in this. Let your hope rest on the cross of Christ. Think not on election, but on Christ Jesus. Rest on Jesus. Jesus first, midst, and without end. Taken from the New Park Street Pulpit, Volume 1, pages 311 to 322. So glad you could be with us. We'll talk about election again next time, only in a different message called Election. It's Defenses and Evidences. I hope these are beneficial to you as they are to me, for sure. Look around the website. You're going to find some other beneficial things. Or go to Facebook, to my timeline, and read a little about me so that you'll know who's speaking to you. Criesfromamongus.com is a blog that I write pretty regularly. And then there's the YouTube channel where you would type in Bob from Hackberry House. A lot of ways we can get together. One other thing here, if you're a man, send me an email saying you'd like to be a part of our Saturday night at 7 p.m. Central Time men's meeting. We talk about a lot of things, especially these days about the church and what's going on in it. I, you might want to be a part of this fellowship every Saturday, 7 o'clock Central Time. But you've got to be a Zoom person. Get Zoom on your device and send me an email, and I'll send you an email requesting and then giving me a little testimony about yourself. And then I will send you an email inviting you officially with the link to our meeting. Hope to see you then. That would be fun. God bless you. And this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.